You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, February 22nd. You are joined by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Their name is Paused Workouts. Irish Illustrated reported that, uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before. They don't really have any details on it other than they've had to pause workouts because of COVID concerns. Um, and there's been certainly an uptick on, on the Notre Dame campus. Uh, in recent days, pretty much uh, for the past week plus. So not surprising. You have an influx of yeah. early entry freshmen uh, that are learning the ropes. I'm not saying how or what happened here per se, but I'm just saying that you've introduced another factor in the COVID scenario. And so they're on pause. We'll let you know when we hear more about whether they resume. And uh, also, Pete, you were the first to report. We had also heard that Kyle Hamilton had surgery on his foot. Uh, if I am not mistaken, if my sources are correct, that actually occurred on January 29th. We've heard mixed reviews as to the severity of it, but we don't expect him to do much of anything uh, in the spring. No, I mean, it's, um, I, I think it may have more of an ankle than a foot in terms of the procedure, but um my oh, that's, understanding that's, is that's on me. I misspoke. I'm sorry. Right. My, I mean, my understanding is that like he would like to do something in spring. Um, so if you want to say that he's going to be severely limited, you could, uh, you know, maybe that will ultimately be, he is out, but regardless um, the story there for Notre Dame is you, you lose a chance to have Hamilton work with Marcus Freeman in sort of a live bullet situation. Um, you know, where we could see how maybe he would be used differently than he was for Clark Lee. Um, I don't think that's all that significant because Kyle Hamilton didn't enroll early and he was fine um, as a freshman. But then also Houston Griffith, DJ Brown, that's kind of all you can eat reps. Um, and maybe that maybe, you know, the, the trickle down here is to Justin Walters. Um, yeah. You know, or Ryan, does Ryan Barnes get some looks there? I don't know. Um, but there, it's it's another opportunity for a younger player to emerge at a position where Notre Dame really needs at least one younger player to emerge. I think Ryan Barnes does get a look. If not, then Ramon Henderson, as Tim pointed out, um, or we've talked about, you're not going to have nine corners by the time everybody rolls around in the summer, no. right? So you're going to this would be the time to move someone for for reps at safety. Uh, we might get a hint as to some ways Marcus Freeman would use Kyle Hamilton by seeing if there's any in the box play. From Isaiah Pryor, who I don't know what mm. he otherwise brings, I guess, unless you're sticking with the true rover position. Um, he, he might be able to do that as well. I mean, this is on the heels of pro football focus going out and grading Jeremiah Wusu Cormo as the best rover in coverage in two years, and he gave up one touchdown and the lowest passing completion percentage. So, as we've said, there's a lot to replace there. I'm interested to see what they do with Pryor. Uh, and then, Tim, you mentioned 14 freshmen being introduced to uh, the situation is the variable. The other variable might be 65 veterans don't care as much about being careful on Friday night because they don't have a game coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, I mean, this is as disciplined as some of those guys were. I have to think they're not as disciplined right now. That's, that's fine. They are not laying anything on the line like they were all of uh, September, October, November. No. And when you consider how many sacrifices they made from the, what, yeah. like the third week of June yes. through the Rose Bowl, I mean, I'm not saying everybody was perfect, but that football team made a ton of sacrifices as it related to COVID. So 
uh, yeah, I'm sure there's no game. And, you know, hey, wh- what? Okay, so my actions are going to cause the delay of a spring practice? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I, you know. I, I I don't think uh, I don't think that's at the forefront of their minds as it relates to, to Kyle Hamilton being out. Um, yeah. I mean, Pete, I think you make a good point that you'd like to see him on the field and do some hands-on stuff with Marcus Freeman, but that's, that's a low priority. You know, yeah, fine, of you. course. And I, and I think that, you know, DJ Brown and Houston Griffith absolutely could use every rep they possibly could. Uh, I think it's a good point that because Ryan Barnes and, and Justin Walters are here, uh, already, it'll be a great opportunity for them. I, I don't, you know, Litchfield Ajavon, I don't think that they're counting too much on him stepping forward and, and winning a job. KJ Wallace, uh, also another guy as a possibility. So I think they can kind of turn that to their advantage um, as it relates to Kyle Hamilton and, and make sure that he's completely healthy. Nordame uh, just got a verbal commitment the other day from running back Jadarian Price from Denison, Texas. We, as usual on Irish Illustrated, when there's a verbal commitment, we throw about a dozen stories at you and try to cover it as thoroughly as we as we possibly can. And, you know, I like him as a back, but I think clearly this is a year where you take two running backs. And unless you get a, a Singleton or a Hayden, or I don't think Sawchuck, Chuck's realistic, I really think Zach Evans is a guy that's really on the rise. Uh, but I, I think Singleton, or you need Singleton or Hayden. I think Price is a good back, but in a duo like this, I think he's the number two back, and you need a guy like Singleton or Hayden. You know, I, I guess I'm not sure I would go that far as far as need, based on like how the depth chart is going to shake out. I mean, O'Malley, I think you do sort of the where players fit in stories, and like when Price is going to be here, you would assume Sebo Flemister is not. I think you would assume Kyron Williams is not. Yeah, there's a um, possibility both of them. You would hope Kyron Williams is not. That means he was good. But, enough. Yeah, yeah. But, he, but even then, because I think it's like sort of a best-case, worst-case scenario because that means Kyron Williams freaking killed it this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tyree, Audric, SDM, Logan Diggs, Jadarian Price, like that to me, that's enough. Um, would I like a second back? Yes. Would I say it was a huge need? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's one of those, like, if you kick the can on the second back a cycle, you would be okay with that if you're Notre Dame. I don't know. If, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but um, I, I guess I, I feel like they're in good, a pretty good spot at running back right now. I think the best way to put it with Flemister and Kyron Williams is they both won't both probably be back. Like, Kyron Williams is great and goes pro. If Sebo Flemister got a bunch of carries because Tyree turned his ankle in October, maybe they want Sebo Flemister back to be number two to Chris Tyree, the junior. You know, um, if Kyron Williams comes back, Sebo Flemister absolutely should take his degree and go play football yeah. where he can get out there and run. Um, they probably want five, but yeah, I, I uh, it's funny. I brought up Sebo to Tim and Dion McIntosh regarding price and unsolicited. You brought up Sebo and someone else regarding price, Pete. He is a more aesthetic version of Sebo Flemister in terms of his running style. Like he's not quite stampeding like Sebo is, which is really fun to watch. Um, but he's close. I mean, he does not go down on first contact and he seems to bounce off a lot of people and run over a bunch of people. And I think that, I don't know, I, I sort of view him as like, I don't know if he does anything like on an elite level, but he does pretty much everything really well. Uh, and I'm, I will be very curious to see 
how much power he adds to his game once he's at 200 pounds. Cause I think that Kevin, Kevin Sinclair sort of report, he's sort of in the 185 range. He's listed at 180, but he looks a little bit bigger than that. He's he plays probably, like he's 205, 210. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he, you know, I, I think he brings some real assets, uh, great pad level, uh, North South runner. Uh, but yet we'll use the, the width of the field once, once it's conducive to do that. I think those are all, those are pretty natural uh, instincts on his part. Catches the ball well, but not only catches it well, after the catch, he really gets upfield. I think he does a good job of that. Does he have great speed? I wouldn't say that. Um, but, you know, I think he's a good running back. I think the days of the, you know, the days of having five running backs on your roster, it's just going to be difficult to do that. We saw what happened, you know, last season when John Mayer Smith left. Uh, I agree that Sebo Flemister will, you know, once he graduates, he should move on and play somewhere. He could play somewhere and, and be a, you know, I mean, yeah. I, Jafar Armstrong's in the Big Ten. Jafar Armstrong doesn't even really know how to be a running back. I mean, Sebo Flemister could certainly play uh, at least a shared role in a, in a Power Five conference in two years. So we'll see what happens there. But it's a, you know, it's a nice start for Nordane, but I, but I, I mean, I've said this over and over again here this the past couple of days. I love Nicholas Singleton. I mean, I love when we saw him sometime during the pandemic. I just, I really think that his upside. I think there's really star potential with his game, um, and so I would really like to see him in a in a Notre Dame uniform um, moving forward. So um, let's conclude this segment with a little bit of basketball talk and the carrier dome collapse on, on Saturday was, was interesting. And I, I hate to say this, but I found it to be humorous from this standpoint um, because we're in the publishing business, you know, the timing of our stories, we free, we, we usually know how people are going to react many times based upon the timing of the story. And I had interviewed Jack Swarbrick, on Wednesday, and I broke it down into three stories. And I had I had the first story on Thursday, the second one on Friday. I was going to do it Saturday morning. I did not get around to it, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and put it together on Sunday morning. So when Notre Dame's up by twenty on Saturday, I'm thinking, okay, from a timing standpoint with this story, because I know it's going to be mostly about Mike Bray. This will work out a little bit better. It will temper some of the negativity towards Mike Bray. Then they blow a 20-point lead, and I'm literally uh, laughing with my brother because the timing of this is not going to be seen very well by the Notre Dame fandom, and it was not. I mean, it's a bunch of freshmen, Tim, trying to get, get through a season, and that's not the case at all. And that's the problem that they can't pull these things out as juniors, seniors, and graduate students. That's what I was thinking the whole time watching it. This is what happens three years ago when Mike Bray throws five freshmen out there and everybody goes, these guys are going to be so much better for this experience. Now is there you're supposed to be better for this experience. I know you can't shoot that well all game long. Yeah, they were ridiculous. Syracuse, the, yeah. But you're not, it's not impossible to find a way to find some offense through sets or a few stops of Buddy Bayheim and beating a press with three guards and a swingman. They have three true guards and a swingman. I thought and they were, yeah, I mean, I thought they really shriveled up. You mentioned a Georgia Tech game. I, I, I didn't, I didn't get that feeling during the Georgia Tech game. That was a 17 point lead that they blew. 
But in this one, they shriveled up against the press. Even yeah. Prentice Hub, who is usually aggressive, Dane Goodwin did. They got trapped in the corner. It was like a Tim, you've coached young people in basketball when they're getting trapped, and the reaction when young young basketball players are getting trapped. It looked similar to to that during the during the run by 40 to 12. After Notre Dame went up by 20, the scoring was Syracuse 40, Notre Dame 12. They've played 10 teams from major conferences with winning records this year in conference, and they're one and nine against those teams. I mean, it's like what we talked about last week. You just want to see them beat one team that you consider to be better than them from a personnel standpoint. And that, you know, technically that happened at Duke, but that's it. Um, they really need to get, whether it's Florida State, um, well, really, they do. Like, they do play. I know Louisville just got hammered because they were coming out of COVID, but Louisville still do have to. That's no, no team. doubt. I mean, no yeah, doubt. They're right? because they're going to, but they're going to press Notre Dame, and this is Tuesday night at Louisville, so they'll get another chance. We have basketball que- questions in segment two. We'll be back with burning up the boards. This is Dr. Len Clark. In addition to covering the Fighting Irish as a journalist, I'm also a certified disc assessment facilitator and help individuals and organizations improve performance and productivity. Learn how you can enhance your communication and increase your profits by taking a DISC assessment. Go to DISTeacher.com to learn more. That's D-I-S-C teacher.com. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is burning up the boards. We start with a question from Mac341. What is the biggest storyline for Notre Dame spring football? Wow, I don't know if I can. Can you pick one? Can you pick one over the other? thought of one but i think my storyline is more for august footballs uh, i was gonna say the offensive line and it's as boring as you get for people to listen to in uh <laughs> february before the season and they have a lot of time so i'm wrong it's not the offensive line because that's the biggest storyline for august because the reason Notre Dame played the national championship game last year reason number one out of 50 is the offensive line yeah and they don't get back until that offensive line can do that again i don't think uh the spring i mean i know for me it's Watching the wide receivers that have zero proof of ability other than their what we think about them being good, and Tyler Buckner. I want to see the wide receivers go make plays and jump to the forefront and become what some of the what we think some of them can be. I want to see Jack Cohn. I mean, it's that's your starting quarterback who we have not seen practice once at Notre Dame. It is it is a really rare instance in the are we at 32 years of Brian Kelly's a head coach now? Like this is one thing that he's never had happen. He's, he's never had a grad transfer quarterback before. Um, so how does that change the way the off season gets structured? How does that change how you try to bring out leadership? How does that change how you try to just run, you know, run spring ball? Um, I'm, and then just how good is Jack Cohn? So that's, I'm all, I'm all in on uh, Jack Cohn for spring ball whenever we get to it. And I want to see what Marcus Freeman does with his defense. And again, we don't know how much we're going to see. Uh, even if we have access to practice, we don't know exactly how much we're going to see. But I think we talked about this last week. He's inherited personnel for four-man front. So how much three-three-five will he run, especially with a secondary where there are enough question marks to, to question whether they will have four starting <laughs> defensive backs, let alone, let alone five. So um, – you know, biggest storyline, there's a few, and I'm very interested to see Jack Cohn, too. I've heard some good things 
about him. I've heard some things about a really live arm that I don't know necessarily totally jumped off the film from two years ago at Wisconsin. So um, there's a ton to watch. I don't know that I can I can rank number one over the uh, over the others, but uh, Tyler Buckner, we have a question on him coming up. I'll I'll stop short of that. But Tim, you're certainly right. Wide receivers. I just He's feel going like to step forward. There's a bunch of young guys that, you know, I mean, Kevin Austin, I don't know how much, I don't know where he is in his rehab, but um, there's a lot to see. It's a, t- it's a program. It's a team in transition. There's a lot to see. I, when I do the, the NFL draft reports, they're not all going to get drafted, but I'm writing about 14 guys that are eligible to, to be drafted or signed as a free agent. So they lost a lot. On a team that went to the playoffs, there's a bunch of storylines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Kevin Austin. We mentioned him every spring and summer. But Jordan Johnson now legitimately is not – it's not just being brought up for fun. Now, Jordan Johnson has to start making some plays, right? This is this right. is where you do it. You're, you've been there a whole year. You're a varsity player. All the big blocking wide receivers are gone that became productive players. I just think it's going to be a much different – it doesn't mean they'll be better overall. I mean, I think they will be better because they're going to make more plays downfield and after the catch and stuff. But everything counts. Um, I want to see if the different wide receivers are better than what they had last year in terms of an effective offense. Those receivers sprung running backs for touchdowns. Yeah, they sure did. And, I, you know, I mean, who's the leader of the receiving core? By, by age, it's Avery Davis. But I don't know that he's – I mean, he certainly wasn't in a I've got to be a leader of the receiving core. Right. Like last year. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's why you, you, you know, in a perfect world, you get Ben Skronik for two years and you have that veteran guy that's got 140 college football receptions. I think Davis got enough credit. I mean, enough credibility for his, especially just. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Being a team player, the Clemson game that he had, you know, I think he's been through enough. He, and I, I go back to this sometimes. I know it's been forever since he's a quarterback, but he might have a little bit of natural leadership in him once he's in a small room like that. He was a quarterback. Yeah. He quarterback. Yeah, true. Yeah. He needs to. I mean, he needs to. Certainly, I don't know necessarily with his voice, but with his performance, right. he needs to pick up where he left off in, in November at the end of last season. From Bali Cheer on High, what guys, staff, or players are we not paying enough attention to regarding the impact they will have this fall? What guys are we paying too much attention to? I think, I don't know if it was the last podcast, it may have been the previous one where we were, we were talking about the offensive line and who's going to be where, and, and we're pretty confident, we're very confident that, that Patterson will be working at left tackle and Corral will be working at center and Lug will be working at, at right tackle. And the question is at guard, and we talked, we virtually talked about, you know, every guard in the program the last time we had this conversation. Um, Dylan Gibbons, I expect him to be manning one of those spots. Left left guard is what what we anticipate now. But the the guy, <laughs> I'll cut to the chase. Finally, uh, John Dirksen. I mean, John Dirksen's a red shirt. He'll be a red shirt junior this year, and he's going to get the first crack at at, at right guard or one of the guard spots. I mean, that's that's a that you pay your dues on the offensive line, and I would think that he is a natural guy to get the first reps at one of those guard spots. I think it will be right guard, whether he will be able to maintain that, whether after the first week or two, they say, we've got to go, we've got to go in a different direction and find somebody else. I don't know about that, but Dirksen's a guy that I've liked from the day that he walked in the door and he has an opportunity as an older player in the, 
in the program to be the starting right guard. Mm, you know, maybe Kevin Bauman, Xavier Watts, potentially is, is guys who would have larger roles than we've discussed on this podcast. I know that we've talked about Bauman before. Watts is sort of like somebody that we all really like come out of high school, but didn't, didn't really scratch the surface last season. So he might be somebody that uh, I think really merits watching. I mean, O'Malley, you mentioned sort of the receivers. I, I would include Watts in that group. Like I would really like to see what he brings to the table during spring ball. I like to include the guys that uh, you really like when a season's about to start, then you find out they're farther away than you knew just because you saw snippets of practice and, or this past year, snippets of highlights from practice, but you yeah. don't give up on them. And I mean, I, I, this is the, the crowning example of this is Kyron Williams. We like Kyron Williams going to his freshman year. All of a sudden he dropped the ball and he was out of the mix. We shouldn't have stopped liking Kyron Williams going to his sophomore year. I think that's kind of the way to, there's no reason to stop liking Xavier Watts because he didn't crack Notre Dame's that's good blocking point. first line at the wide receiver. I think there are two other guys. I think there are two other guys. Um, One is another tight end, and it's not Kevin Ballman. I think George Takis is a guy that, you know, I mean, he's in a position, as again, as an older guy and with the the departure of of Wright and Trumbull, uh, he's in a position to to get number two snaps and, um, you know, co-number one snaps when they're in 12 personnel. The other guy I think defensively is – Again, we're always looking at, you know, we're always looking at who are the early entry freshmen? Who are the freshmen? <clears throat> and I know Cam Hart hasn't been playing cornerback for, for very long, but they really need somebody to step forward. And I still think Tariq Bracey can be that guy, but I don't think we're talking nearly enough about Cam Hart with his length now in his second year at the position with an opportunity, with an opening, an opportunity for a guy that's a little bit older than all the young, young defensive backs that we're talking about. Cam Hart was the guy I was going to mention. Um, I think that another guy sort of fitting in that mold is KJ Wallace. I mean, we're talking about who's going to step forward at safety. And I mentioned Justin Walters. I should have started with KJ Wallace. Um, you know, he's in a position now with Kyle Hamilton not doing much during spring ball. DJ Brown and Houston Griffith aren't going to take all the reps. Uh, we're not sure how Litchfield Adjavon fits. Like KJ Wallace is probably your third safety during spring, right? Maybe he's your second safety. Um, I'd be interested to see what kind of spring he has. I've liked KJ Wallace ever since he shoved Claypool after Claypool <laughs> scored a touchdown on him as a true freshman. I thought that showed some moxie from KJ Wallace. Right, like no, within the I, first, I always thought to myself, that guy. Like within the first three practices in a Notre Dame uniform, he yeah. was shoving Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool, yeah. And of course, like the next play, Claypool scored and tapped him on the head and taunted him and stuff like that. But it's, <laughs> I still loved his competitive nature that he was going to go after. Uh, I don't know that Justin Adamiola fits the scenario of what we're talking about here, but we talk about him all the time. So just yeah, I know, no, I know, yeah. but 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 a non-starter that doesn't, you know, I, I one of those guys that I think we had to ask about him before his name was ever mentioned by by a coach, at least by Brian Kelly. I mean, maybe if we if we could talk to Mike Elston, he may have mentioned him. But we don't get we don't get many opportunities to talk to assistant coaches, but. Uh, um, you know, a little bit different category, but I, I really think that the next couple of years with Justin Adamiola are going to be pretty bright. We'll see, you know, now the challenge for him is, can you translate what you do in 18 snaps over the course of, you know, 35 or 40 snaps? We'll see. I'm going to read the CMU Penns fan because he sounds like Pete Sampson saying something here at the end. If you get to see spring practice, 
what would you need to see from Tyler Buckler to say, yeah, this guy has something. That, was my <laughs> <laughs> that is ahead. probably how I'm going to evaluate Tyler Buckler's yeah. thing. Like, all right, cool. I like it. I, I would say that he was getting work comparable to Clark and Pine, assuming Clark is even available. Um, and that you see, I'm not saying that it would need to look like Kevin Austin's one spring practice last year, where you're just like, holy crap, the physical tools are there. But I would need to see something physically that jumped off the page, uh, which I think that he, I hope that in comparison to the other quarterbacks, probably Cone excluded, um, that you see something physically where you're like, yes, that's why I have been writing about this guy for two and a half years. On a, on a lesser scale, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I think you need to see is where's the throwing motion? Because if it's reverting back to the stuff that we saw at a certain point during the summer or spring, there's an issue. If that's not an issue, uh, I'm confident he's going to be a good football player. I, I don't really, I don't, I mean, I guess if he beats out Jack Cohn, that's in Nordum's best interest because that would mean he's really, really good. I just, I don't expect that to happen. He didn't have a yeah. senior year. Uh, yeah. He's only, he's all, he's played, he, he has played one year of football in the last three years, right? Because he missed his sophomore yeah. and senior year. So I wouldn't anticipate that happening, but he's a mature kid. He'll be fine. I guess I want to see, I do want to see his stature in, you know, just in person, what, what physically, what kind of pose he strikes on a football field. But as long as the throwing motion is intact, that's for me, that's a good starting point because it, it, it was a little out of whack last year and, and uh, they don't have time for him to be dealing with an issue like that. I would just like to have a highly touted Notre Dame quarterback where we're not hyper analyzing every damn throw like we well, have with some recent guys. We we tore apart Jerkovic in a heartbeat. Yeah, last year. Well, and Wimbledon was, a couple I, years ago. Almost. I would just like that not to be a thing again. I hear you. I not good for anybody. That's what I was going to say. I don't want to walk away from the first practice having someone say to me, "Did you see his throwing motion? Look like no, just no, play no. quarterback. He'll be fine. <laughs> just he'll, let me see him go play quarterback. I don't. He'll be fine, but I, I do think the fans need to remember that he's played one year of football in the last three. Right. And Jack Cohn's yes. the guy that should come in and win the job. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing good things about him prior to their their pause here the other day. Uh, Dad of the '90s. What coaches do you like as potential replacements? For Mike Bray, if that ever happened, <coughs> if that ever happened, you have in a, yeah, yeah. you have somebody in mind because I, I do, and I've mentioned them before. Yeah, and I, I like that when you you talk about <coughs> Kevin Willard before. Um, I'm not even going to bring him up because no, I don't like the way Seton Hall has played. Yeah, well, that, I tell you what, that that's going to happen to a lot of coaches who start following. Remember, we lost <laughs> our Pete completely broke up with Matt Campbell before getting back together with him this past no. year. Oh, yeah, we've been going out again for quite a while. <laughs> quite a rebound. You got you you and Matt are in a good spot now. Yeah, yeah, we were in Turks and Caicos last week. It was great. Um, yeah, I I don't know how you guys. I am I'm reluctant to go down the alumni route just because I, I think sometimes it gets a little bit overrated. But I think Chris Quinn would be amazing. I mean that if you if you said Notre Dame had hired if Jack Swerbeck hired Chris Quinn to replace Mike Bray, I would be like, wow. 
that is a home run level hire at a program that has some some rebuilding to do. I was I thought you were gonna say Monty Williams, which is that's like pretty, Grand pretty, Slam type stuff. Yeah, it is, but pretty unrealistic as a you know, yeah, with his role in the in the NBA. But uh no, Kevin Willard, I mean, I still think he's a pretty good coach, but Seton Hall has man, <laughs> as soon as I made that statement a few weeks ago, they blew a big lead. I don't remember who it was against, but they blew a big lead, which they're we, all gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know everybody Especially is. when Tim says it. But yeah, and we, you know, we've had so much practice watching it lately that you don't want to get it. But no, what Wes Miller, the guy at UNC Greensboro, is 38 years old, um, 67 and 18 in the in the Southern Conference in his last whatever that is, 85 games. Uh, he's averaged 26 wins a year in the last four years. Uh, I know that not many people are going to make the connection here, but. Notre Dame got their baseball coach, Link Jarrett, from UNC Greensboro. And Wes Miller is also at UNC Greensboro. So at the risk of constantly raiding Greensboro's athletic programs, I think Wes Miller, I mean, I mean he's really, he's been at Greensboro for a while. He's 38 years old. I think he was a walk-on at North Carolina. I, I'm, I'm really surprised that he's still there and that somebody hasn't, hasn't picked him up. But I think Wes Miller is is and is continuing to trend in the direction of being a really good college basketball coach. ND615, what is the higher number? And this, I think, is a tie, guys. Remaining college football appearances for Brian Kelly, college football playoff appearances, or remaining NCAA tournament appearances for Mike Bray? I, I think that's a really uh, interesting question. It depends if uh, – uh, and I was going to mention this earlier, but you know, all the conversation about Mike Bray and the length of his contract, I think we all just kind of assumed that. I don't know. I don't know why we assume that his contract ended after next year with the graduation of the senior class, but I think we all kind of spoke in those terms. And then in interviewing Jack Swarbrick, you come to find out that Bray actually has a contract through 2024, 20, 25. And I, you know, I don't, I, I don't expect him to coach that long, but I also didn't expect the contract to be for four seasons after the current one. I don't think yeah. I, I don't one know. each. Yeah. One each. What? One, that's what I said. One each. I think they're going to be a tournament next year. Yeah, me too. With Atkinson and, the, and all the seniors, all these freshmen. Uh, are playing I, so badly right now. I think it would be, I, I think it would be horribly disappointing if they didn't make the NSA tournament next year. I mean, they're going. They're going to finish around 500 now in the conference for the second year in a row. And you had Paul Atkinson to the equation, the athletic ability of of Blake Wesley with I the veterans I mean, you have coming back. I guess I mean they're a clearly an NCAA tournament team next year, as opposed to they're going to be on the they're, bubble watch and that kind of stuff. Well, they're the, they'll be the most. They have. They're the most experienced team in the ACC. They have to be. But then after that, Tim, if he doesn't have Goodwin and Lashevsky stay. And you lose Atkinson, Goodwin, Lashevsky, and Hub. I guess Goodwin's Goodwin's going to come back. He's not going to Goodwin's not going to go play in Europe when he could come back and play at Notre Dame because, as we said, with Nate Lashevsky is just right. He could go play in Europe right now. Yes, Good, Goodwin will. I couldn't. I can't see him not coming back for that free year. Yeah, no, it's a great. It's a is great question. Really? I mean, I, man, yeah, yeah. the college football playoffs. Uh, you know, I know that Notre Dame going there too in the last three years is downplayed by many as much as it can possibly be downplayed. But other than Alabama and Clemson, 
and in Oklahoma up until this last year, teams are just not getting back to the ACC, the, uh, the national championship final four playoffs frequently. I think, Wash, they, go go ahead, I think they will go once in uh, this class's four years, this incoming freshman class's four year stay. I think Brian Kelly will be here for three or four. I think Brian Kelly could be for all four of the years. Then we're, then, then as Pete said earlier, I think we're pushing it after that, right? In that 24, 25 range, you're kind of pushing the brain. Yeah. Question from Wash ND out of the incoming defensive backs. Who will make the most significant instant impact and who will be the most impactful long-term? Well, long-term, I like Philip Riley the best, so I guess I'll say Philip Riley. I mean, if we're just going by what we rank them, I really like Philip Riley. <laughs> yeah, so. I, look, I look at it a little differently. I would my, I would say Philip Riley short-term because I, th I think that he comes in physically, um, you know, length, and, and he's played against really great competition. Uh, but long-term, I'm jumping a gun here on you, Pete. I apologize. Um, I like Chance Tucker. I think Chance Tucker is going to be a hell of a college football player, whether it's a corner or safety to be determined. But I think long-term, it may take him a little bit longer than Philip Riley because I think Philip Riley comes in physically maybe a little bit. Um, that's probably unfair. But I, I think he's more developed as a football player. Uh, not I'm with advantage. Yeah, like I'm with you guys on Philip Riley as the most significant instant impact guy. Um, but then I, I like Kari G. I don't know. It's just sort of like a personal preference. But I think as a safety, who's a hitter, who's got a little bit of length to his game, I like I like that dude a lot. Um, I'm very interested to sort of see where his career goes. I, I mean, I, I love Kari G. I, just, I think he's going to move up a rung in the defense. I think he'll eventually could, be an outside, yes. outside line happen, guy, which sure. is why, which is why I didn't say his name. I'm I, as I look at my list here, I have him listed with, uh, with linebackers. Although I mean, I'm sure he comes in first and foremost as a as a as a safety, and they'll see what they. Yeah, that's a wow. They, he's they a guy. Have they have to try it. They don't have safeties. You have yeah, to no. I mean, he, he he's a guy that. I mean, you want to talk a guy about a guy that jumped off the tape late in the recruiting process. It's like, are you kidding me? They're going to get the, they're going to add this guy yeah. to the equation. His physicality is so good. I want them to move him up closer to the line of scrimmage. I think he can play safety, but I, I think his long-term ability is closer to the line of scrimmage, just as it was for Owusu Koromoa. Not that we, not that we fully realized that at the time, uh, but we, we got a good realization of it the last two seasons. DMB three four six Jack Cohn passing TDs over under twenty three. I'll add the official point five to that. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe <laughs> that a push. Maybe, maybe that was maybe that was I in there. Technicalities there, Pete. <laughs> yeah. uh, I say I say over. I know he's got a young receiving core, uh, but I don't. You know, I don't see them just absolutely pounding the football like they did last year because of the transition on the offensive line. I'll say over, you know, he'll, he'll get an extra game. I'm knocking on wood here. Uh, no pandemic automatic 13 games. I think he surpasses that. I think over, you know, kind of the high twenties, 
You know, if, if you said it was 25 and a half, I think I would probably still bet over on this. That would be the lead balloon and say under. Oh, Do you I believe that, or are you just I, trying I, to be the lead balloon? Ian through what? I, I know last year was a little different because Ian booked through, what, 34 two years ago and 15 last year. So you figure a more normal number for a good running team and a good quarterback is about 26, 27, right? Yep. I mean, Everett Golson in 2014 with Will Fuller and no running game through 29. Kaiser only threw twenty. Kaiser and Malik Zay only threw twenty-five in two thousand fifteen, with Will Fuller and a great receiving core. Yeah, but don't you? I mean, don't you think Michael Mayer gets Michael Mayer's? A, you can pencil one in for. Don't say it. They have no ten. Room. Ten. ten. Broken More than six. six. They're broken the record. <laughs> I, I was not going to say ten. I was going to say seven or eight. I don't know. You can't. I don't. Can you pencil in tight ends for? Touchdown totals, I don't no, know. No, I found that out over the last 10 years. Every yeah, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> DMB needs to ask this question in late August again. Come back to our podcast at Irish Illustrated Insider, and we will give you a better answer. ND underscore Yinzer, if Brian Kelly retired tomorrow, who would be your first call to replace him? I imagine Luke Fickle is the first instinct and response from most people. Wow. Matt, Matt Campbell, right? Samson? I just, just talked about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, Matt Campbell would be my first call. Um, Luke Fickle would probably be number two. Urban Meyer would be number three, right, Pete? I, think, I, I don't know. I think he's tied up. I, after his questionable strength coach hire uh, two weeks ago, I'm not sure I would read That was the last draft. That, that is the deal breaker. We had a Twitter question. I didn't include it because I figured it was facetious, but I wasn't positive about after Urban Meyer's six-year run with Jacksonville and turns them into a winner, do you think Notre Dame – I just can't. I can't. I can't include any any more questions about Urban Meyer at Notre Dame. As funny as as funny as some of the scenarios that are painted are, I wasn't sure whether it was a serious question or not, but I think it probably was, and it's just not going to happen. The Brian Kelly retiring tomorrow thing is interesting because the coach would be. Well, tough call. Do you go outside right away? Yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's nobody inside right now that you would want to promote. Well, Marcus, Marcus Freeman, one more year, would be a head coaching candidate somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Uh, I mean, Clark Lee is a head coach right now. Um, well, but I feel like he's going to need – I would like – if I'm Notre Dame, I would like him to have three years there before yes. Brian Kelly decides to, to retire. So then I can make a, a better evaluation on – what kind of head coach he is, but um, that's what I'm saying. If if it's today, I need to hire somebody who I know is a good head coach, and so I go Campbell one, Fickle two. Fair enough. Ryan GBR thirty two had Randy Moss ended up at Notre Dame. What this is not O'Malley's Monday musings. I'd like to point out here, but would they have won any national titles? Would Lou Holtz have stayed longer? And did the administration not letting Moss in help make Holtz's mind up to retire? I was covering Notre Dame back then, um, and I don't think they would have won a national title of Randy Moss because I, the, because the wave of the really strong wave of talent that that permeated that program in ninety two ninety three, um, you know, and Lou Holtz will admit it, he didn't replenish, uh, he didn't replenish the talent that came through during that time. So I would say no to that uh, in terms of. 
Would Holtz have stayed longer, or did the administration not letting Moss in help make up Holtz's mind to retire? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I mean, Randy um, Moss didn't make it at Florida State, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Notre Dame was in agreement. I'm, I'm sure the head coach would love to have had Randy Moss on his team, but I, that didn't, that didn't. Uh, alter the mindset of Lou Holtz. I, I think, you know, I think he, he was still kicking himself. They didn't do a better job of recruiting after that, that strong, that 93 team, that, that, the 92, 93 teams were just loaded with talent. And they had a big drop off in 94. You know, I did a thing about running games and when, when the, when the Notre Dame running game drops off significantly under Lou Holtz, then you know that he hasn't done done the kind of job that he should have done or wanted to do in order to keep that going. Cause that was, the game was so different then it was, it was run first, run second, run third. If you could, uh, I don't think they were going to win a national title with Randy Moss. So to kind of use it like nowadays where you say, well, you know, Notre Dame could have won a national title this year, except there's these two teams that are so much better than everybody else. That was Randy Moss would have been 95 to 98. If, Randy Moss stays four years, which probably doesn't happen, but they did They did kind of stay back then. They did kind of stay back then, so maybe he would have. His best chances to win it would have been his freshman year, 95, was the best team they had there, and that was Nebraska beating Florida 62-21. to 21. I don't think they're going to beat that Nebraska team for the national title, one of the strongest teams in the history of the sport, and 98 is probably the other year because of Jarius Jackson, and they had a good defense and all that, but that was uh, – I mean, they would have to have won it in, like, his senior year, right? Yeah. I mean, he went pro after two years. Like, you know, he didn't play in 95. Right. And then he, only, he only played two years at Marshall. So I don't Probably know why he would have. Anywhere after his junior year. I, I agree with you on that. There's no reason. Also, his college statistics are obscene. <laughs> yeah, he was good, Pete. <laughs> two, he averaged uh, 77 catches and what? 1700 yards and 25 oh my god he had 54 receiving touchdowns in two years well some of his highlights from his marshall days are just <sighs> off the chart man off the chart yeah, he did have a good, now notre dame had a good quarterback in there too at the end and jarius jackson but he did have uh chad pennington which is a good little combo in marshall <sighs> when you're running around out there no doubt question from m m Lindbergh: is there an aspect of the football program that needs a matt bayless like restoration O'Malley? I don't think so. A Matt Bayless-like restoration was a. I mean, yeah, we're he, talking. We're talking in the wake of a four and eight, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, he. It's a. Uh, I mean, anytime you want to hire somebody as good at his job as Matt Bayless is, I'm all for it. But I'm not sure that that's what you're. You're. I mean, what what would you possibly be saying? Like the ability to recruit five star fits at Notre Dame and get them all on campus and have them be great is a Matt Bayless-like restoration. But that, how's that going to work out? But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there is something there that I mean, there's nothing about Notre Dame football where you'd point to and be right. like, "Wow, they're way behind in this." There are things that you know can be improved, but nothing to the point where you'd point to it and say, "Like that's broken." Whereas I, I think O'Malley, you, I think you were the one that reported this way back in the transition from 26 to 2017 yeah. that the players basically said like we the strength program is broken we need yeah. to redo this it was that had to happen and it did and they've reaped the benefits ever since yeah i'm i'm frequently um amused by 
the questions about the Notre Dame football program that's 43 and eight in the last four years has been to had two undefeated regular seasons and two playoff appearances. I realize that they haven't been good enough in the big games when it counted to win a national title, but this is not a program that's like running on fumes. No, Tim, in no. fact, to your point, I read that. I'm glad you read this question instead of me because when I looked over the questions quickly, I glossed over it and thought it said basketball. <laughs> Because they know there's parts of the program, the basketball program. Oh, well, yeah, there's numerous, of, of yeah, course, there's numerous I parts. Program, I just mean the recruiting. Yeah. But yeah. Like, there's the football program is on great or good ground or at worst solid, right? Finds, there's places where it's just solid, probably. Yeah, I, I think that their uh, 32 straight wins against unranked competition is kind of underappreciated. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes it can feel like it's being over-celebrated and like crammed down your throat if you're a fan, but I, it's the second longest streak of that kind in college football behind Alabama, which is at like 98 wins. Um, <laughs> like they don't lose that game anymore, like ever. Like they may not play necessarily like on point all the time, like Louisville or Virginia Tech in 2019, but um, you know, Pittsburgh in 2018, but like, they have sort of a mental toughness or just sort of like an experience baked into their DNA now that they get out the other side of that. And I think that's, that's kind of underappreciated. Well, they came really close against Virginia Tech at home in 20, 2019. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no margin for there. Uh, no margin for error there with Ian Book coming through at the end. But, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm frequently amused by um, – you know, at, at 43 and eight, I, there there is a segment of, of Irish Illustrated subscriber that you would swear they were 35 and, you know, whatever that works out to. What they, what they used to be. What they used to be. Like yeah, when, exactly. When, when Brian that, Kelly was going eight and five. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going eight and five anymore. It, it, you know, a bad year is, has become, I guess, you know, the last four, 10 and three was the worst year. And then 11 and two. I, you know, but I get it. I mean, I'm not, I understand that you, you, what the next step and that, that, that next step is a big one. I, do, but I just don't think that it's a Bayless like restoration in, in making that next step. You know, let me just add this. Um, and, and this is in response to the, the, the Swarbrick interviews and what have you. And, and it's just, I'm not saying what's right or wrong. Cause I know everybody has their own opinion about this, but when you're an athletic administrator, you look at your program and you say, okay, what do we need to do to get to the top? Well, when Jack Swarbrick looks at it, he doesn't think that there's very far to go with the football program. You've made the playoffs two years in a row. You're two games away, and you're only one of four teams that can say you're two games away from winning a national title. A fan's reaction when you lose to Alabama decisively is to scrap the whole damn thing and start over again. That's generally speaking, that's not how athletic administrators, administrators look at. It. They look at where are we and what do we need to do to take the last couple steps? Well, this was the pro- this is a tangent, but this is the problem I had with how Notre Dame had to has to have a different approach to beat a team like Alabama. I, I know they need better perimeter players, but they had the approach they had because they didn't have developed better perimeter players. If those guys are the reason they can beat Alabama. Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Deion Colsey, then they will have that approach to try to beat Alabama. Like it was this weird 
snowball effect of this is what's wrong with Notre Dame. They run too much and they use tight ends. They're not explosive. That was the clear strength of their team and the only reason they were playing Alabama. So yeah, you have, have a great offensive line run and have explosive players. I get it, but they didn't have the players. So what are you scrapping? Like, I, it's a weird t- – I guess I'm on a tangent. It drives me crazy, though. How would you think they were going to throw out Xavier Watts, Jordan Johnson, and Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay and go beat Alabama? You, you have to play to your strengths, and, the, and they vary from line. year to year. And you, you would love for your strengths to be we can run it anytime we want, we can throw it anytime we yes. want. But it doesn't – I mean, maybe that, maybe that happens at Alabama and Clemson. It doesn't happen at Notre Dame, and I don't think it's because somebody's screwing up. I think it's, I, I mean, I just think it's a little bit more difficult. You know, Jack Swarbrick made comments about, he made comments about a lot of things that that, that I know that that weren't received well by a lot of the, the fans that want more. Um, but he talked about he talked about five star guys, and and I mean, the reality is that. You know, Pete, I think you use the number, the 35 out of 100, and then people go back and look at it and say, um, you know, well, um, they offered more than that. Well, an offer isn't always binding. A lot of times an offer to a five-star is, here's an offer, but you're going to need to do this, this, and this academically. And a lot of times they fall short of doing that. And then I, I said this the other day, and, you know, there was cheating going on in basketball um, and the FBI got involved for p- players being paid. Your was is probably not the word choice you need there, but <laughs> I'm sorry. What your was is probably not the word. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, so that, that doesn't happen in football too. I, you know, I, when, when you talk about fits and cultural fits at Notre Dame, these kind of things come into play. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just not as easy as Brian Kelly making a few more phone calls for Notre Dame to corner the market on five-star players the way Alabama has. Yeah, but, I mean, we all agree, like, they need to do more in that department, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Of course. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, because that was like, as I was reading your conversation with Swarbrick, I thought it was a I, – I wanted more of, and this is what we're going to do to try to – to close the gap, whether, whether you think the gap is huge or you think the gap is small, there's a gap. And I think I wanted to know more about, all right, this is how the gap's going to get closed. And I, and I, I think that Notre Dame is to, you know, their credit to be fair to them. Like they're still trying to figure that out themselves. Right. Like, I'm not sure there is a simple, like, this is how you close it. They have to find ways to maximize their situation and their situation is a bit more problematic than it is for the Alabamas and Clemsons. It just is. If, if, if people want to say that I'm wrong about that, you, you can go ahead and say that I'm wrong about that, but I don't think that I am. And if it was, if, if it, if it was just a matter of Brian Kelly making more phone calls and work, working harder and recruiting, I, I mean, don't you think they would have pushed to get to that, get to that point already? It's just very difficult, and they're closer than a lot of people think, and that's why I say administrators don't, they don't, and this is a different example because Mike Bray's losing games and they haven't succeeded, but, you know, in the last 10 games, Notre Dame has played better than their opponent 
85% of the time, 90% of the time, um, you don't scrap what you're doing. You try to you try to beat the press and try to hold off Syracuse as opposed to, as opposed to what happened. You don't change everything because one aspect's not going well. You need to break the press to beat Syracuse, and um, you know Notre Dame just in football is going to function under some restrictions that not everybody has to deal with. Last question from Dylan Murphy, O2, after Usu Koromoa, who is the next three-star Notre Dame player that will be drafted in a future NFL first round? Okay. Did you guys look it up? Who is the last three-star to be drafted in the first round? Eifert, maybe? Ooh, it was no, Eifert. It was, it was Eifert in 2013. So it will be eight years. Well, presume, assuming that Usu Koromoa will be drafted in first round, and it, it's, it certainly looks like it's trending in that direction. Um, so it's been eight, it'll be eight years certainly Jalen Smith would have been there had it not been for his injury. Um, okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing with my story today. Cause I was talking about linebackers. Nordim has not had Pete. Do you know this? Nordim has not had a linebacker draft in the first round. Again, Jalen Smith would have been it Yeah. since 1982. What year were you born? 77. I think I looked that up a while ago when I was looking at Wusu Kormo's contract or what it would be if he went like in the top 10 or something, I would, and I was floored by that. Like I, I couldn't believe that Notre Dame had not had a linebacker drafted that highly in that long. I, Nord- I, I misread this question as like the next three star to be drafted at all. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, you know, obviously a Wusu Kormoa book, almost certainly Ade probably more than almost certainly, but I think if you looked at Brian Kelly's classes from 2010 to 2016, that would make it, that would give you seven draft picks out of about 70 three-star players. Nick Martin. Yeah. Nick Martin, Love, Bennett Jackson, Shembo, and then Bokade and Usu Koromoa. So it's, it's a tough 10%, the 10% hit rate just to get drafted. So I was trying to look at the non-freshmen because we could say a bunch of freshmen because we haven't seen them play yet. A lot mm-hmm. of three stars. You could say, "Oh, these guys, I like these guys to go get drafted." Um, and I kept trying to get back to the freshmen. I bet you get more three stars, and this is a bit of a process by elimination. More three-star future draft picks from the current class than the two that preceded it. <laughs> well, you're going you're going based upon the the, the class that's really not trending well. I am. Yes. But that is also part of the question. I'm, I get it. I'm, going, I'm no, looking at numbers it. and I'm thinking this is how it's going to go. Uh, last thing, and we've run long in this segment, but th- there's been an NFL draft since 1936, and there have only been two line, two Notre Dame linebackers drafted in the first round. Bob Crable in 1982 and George Connor in 1946. It's impossible. And I want to say one thing. <laughs> Jalen Smith, as you pointed out, Manti Teo would have been drafted late first round had the whole thing not gone down. Had Good point. Been, Good point. Scouts picking at him's game. And he would have fallen a little bit in the draft, but he would he would have been a first-round pick. And, uh, first-round and, pick by a Patriots team or something like that. But, right, yeah. and probably – I mean, his career, he hasn't, he hasn't blossomed in the NFL, so that probably would have been a reach. Yeah, but had, that's the type the, of guy you can reach for in the late first round if he has no baggage that he had coming out in the draft. Okay, we've run long here. We appreciate everybody participating. We will be back 
uh, next Monday. I want to remind people just ahead of time, the following week, that would be March, da, 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 hurry. March, uh, March 8th would be a Monday. We will be, we will be broadcast. We will be recording on uh, March 9th, Tuesday of that week. We'll try to remind you again next week and on Irish Illustrated on our, uh, on our website. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.